Ruth chapter 4. I can't believe it's already Ruth 4. Can you? It is flying by. By way of illustration, uh, this is for uh, Jessie Reed, who I'm sure is listening at home. She broke her leg, but she is an accomplished violinist. And here is one of the most famous ones, Peter Cropper, distinguished, accomplished violinist uh, in England. He was able to play for different dignitaries, different royalties. In fact, he was given the privilege um, to perform at the Kumo Music Festival in Finland. Quite a gorgeous place, isn't it? Is it just kind of going on its own? It is. Well, why wouldn't it? I made it. Uh, Stay there. Each time I think about using technology, I say, never again. And then I think, okay, there's no video, there's no audio. I mean, it's just pictures. And then it says, ain't gonna happen. All right. So we'll just, we'll just turn it off, really. There's nothing really valuable in there to see. Nothing at all. Peter Cropper, he got to play at that really cool place and, uh, in Finland. And on top of that, the Royal Academy of Music in London grants him a one-time opportunity to play on a 258-year-old Stradivarius violin. Okay? Now, it is a top-of-the-line kind of violin. We're just going to turn that off, Linda, if you don't mind. Yeah, whenever is, is great. Um, come back for second service. Um, 80 different pieces of wood to make this violin. 30 different coats of varnish make it one of uh, the most exquisite, valuable, uh, you know, pieces of art. And it has a sound that is unrivaled. And so... He was so excited about the opportunity that you can imagine the anguish and the horror fell when the unthinkable happened. You see, he was there at the Kumo Music Festival in Finland, and he was walking across the stage with his Stradivarius, and there was an extension cord that he had to get over, and he bit the extension cord, and he tripped, and he fell. But he didn't just fall gracefully. He fell and he landed on the Stradivarius violin, breaking its neck in front of a very distinguished audience. You can tell that he was devastated, borrowed a violin, and finished the performance. But he flew back to England inconsolable. He was contacted by a violin dealer, Charles Bear, who offered to restore the violin. Peter said, there is no way this can be restored. It is beyond restoration. But for the next two months, Charles Bear put his time and his energy into this violin. And when the time was ready, he presented the violin back to the Royal Academy of Music and Peter Cropper, and they were overwhelmed. Because Peter was amazed that you couldn't even see a crack in the violin. Not only was the condition perfect, but of course Peter played it and he said it sounded more beautiful than it ever did before. A few weeks later, Peter with his quartet, the Lindsay Quartet, went around on a national tour and catch this night after night, he played beautiful music on an instrument that he once was convinced could never be restored. Can you relate? 
Have you been there? I'm not talking about a musical instrument from seventh grade band class. I'm talking about a marriage that seems irreparable, a pain that seems inconsolable, a loss that seems irreplaceable, a future that looks impossible, that you look at life and you say, there's no way this can be restored. It is too broken. It's shattered to the point that no one can put it back together. But Ruth is here to teach us this morning that time plus a master craftsman can bring perfect and full restoration. Time plus a perfect master craftsman can bring full and complete restoration. That's where we are in Ruth 4. And if you haven't been here before, can I just give you a 30-second overview? Ruth 1, Naomi loses her husband and her two sons. She is buried underneath the death of her loved ones. A life that was once full is now a life full of bitterness. She actually comes back to Bethlehem, her hometown, and she says, don't call me Naomi, which meant pleasantness or sweetness. She says what? Call me Mara because the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me or the Lord has marred me. Life is too broken. It's too shattered. Ain't nobody going to fix it. Then we get to Ruth chapter 2. And, there, and Ruth is out in the barley field. She's picking up crumbs, more or less. She goes and she gleans, and she finds this man whose name is Bohunk. All right, no, I mean, you might know him as Boaz, all right, but this guy, Bohunk, uh, he's out there, and he is generous to her. He's a man's man. We learned last time, okay, that he has Chuck Norris do his laundry. We're going to see here in chapter 4 that he tells all these guys to sit down, and what do they do? They sit down, okay? I mean, you might come walking over to Boaz, but you're going to limp back, all right? I mean, that's just the kind of guy he is. He's a man's man. And, uh, and so he, they meet, and there is a little bit of hope, okay, on the scene. There is some glimmer of light that shines through the clouds because Naomi realizes that this, this Bohunk, this Boaz, he's eligible, and not only that, she says in 2.20, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And she begins to realize that God has not forgotten the living and the dead, that the Lord's kindness is steadfast and enduring. And so we find out from Ruth 4, here's a very simple outline, that there is a formal redeemer, there's a surprise redeemer, and there is the real redeemer. So let's go ahead and read Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate, and he sat down. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. One of those, and it just so happens. We see that there again, don't we? And so Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside, and what did he do? He, he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, sit down here. Now I would love for the elders of this church just to walk in one day, and I'm like, sit down. <laughs> And Ben Coochie's like, yes. <laughs> not not going to happen, all right? Not going to happen, but, but I, I, can, I can dream it, okay? It might one day. And so he turned, he took ten of the men of the elders of the city, and he said, sit down here. And so they sat down, and he said to the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. I will redeem it. Redeem it, but if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. 
Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then the Redeemer said, I, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. He drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. The name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So in order to get all that is in there, that would just be kind of common sense. They could fill in the blanks. They could read between the lines. We have to know something about the ancient Near Eastern culture. So this is this little bit of time. It's called a history lesson, okay? And we have to know what this fancy word means of what is a kinsman redeemer. So go back to Leviticus 25, Leviticus 25, 25, all right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Pages are flapping. It's on page 103 in your pew Bible if you're not using one. And here in Leviticus 25, 25, we see God's wisdom as a king and a lawgiver over his people, and that God has ways in the law to care for his people that go through life's challenges, life's hardships, and life's reversals. So let's read 25, 25 through 28. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest Redeemer, that's a kinsman redeemer, shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous, and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it, and pay back the balance of the man to whom he sold it, and then return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. We see here that God has a way of providing for his people that fall on tough times, especially those that are poor. You can be poor in God's word through your own incompetency, through unwise choices, but you can also be poor to things that are outside beyond human control. A famine comes into the land, okay? And so we have here that a man could sell his property, but catch this, even though he sold it, he did not cease to be the rightful owner of the land, okay? The law forbids the proper sale 
of the, or, or the permanent sale of the land to someone else. No transfer of ownership. So if you sold it, what you were really selling was just the rights to you know, make money off the crops. But the land was always yours. That meant that you always could have a second chance to get the land back. You could either get the land back by saving up enough money, maybe working two jobs, three jobs, buy it back for yourself. You could wait for the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, when all the debts were canceled and the land would become yours. Or, hint, hint, you could have a kinsman redeemer, a close relative, see that you are in servitude and he could redeem you out as a slave. He could buy your land back for you. But guess this, if you left a deceased widow, he could also marry your uh, your, your widow, if you were deceased yourself. And what is awesome about our God's wisdom in this is that when he redeems all of that, it is God's way of keeping his promises from generation to generation. You guys get that? I know this is a little bit of a history lesson, so let's just break it down. God is going to keep his promise. He, he told everybody when they end of the promise, then you're going to get some land, right? This is your land that, that you get to keep from generation to generation. But how could God keep his promise to generation upon generation if somebody dies without any kids? The land would then be sold to somebody else? And now, how is God going to say, this land will always be in this family? I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will be faithful to generations that are not even yet born. How can God be faithful unless there is in His law, in His wisdom, the opportunity for a kinsman redeemer to come and to buy the land, catch this, have children with his brother's widow, not to be his heir, but to be his deceased brother's heir, so that his family name keeps going for generation upon generation upon generation, so that God, that their name isn't wiped out of the history books. So God provides, God has a plan, God has a very tangible way for each generation to know that God provides for his people. And so Naomi says in 2.20, the Lord has not forsaken the living and the dead. He is a near kinsman. Maybe Elimelech will still have a name after all. She sees hope here. And that is the background to which we get to Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. And let's go ahead and pick it up. We see here in Ruth 4, 1, Boaz had gone out to the gate. That's where they do business. And sat down there. And behold, right? We've heard that before. And it just so happens, the Redeemer... The redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Turn aside, friend. What is that? Is that what happens when you forget somebody's name in church? Hey, brother. Hey, sister. I, pff, we're glad you're here today. I mean, the Lord bless you and the Lord be with you. Do you not find it strange that the author who in chapter 1 is at pains to give us names, to give us names of guys that both come on the scene and die within one verse. We get the names of guys that die within a verse. And here we have the formal redeemer, the guy that could redeem. And Boaz says, turn aside, friend? 
Do, do you find it strange that this is Boaz's relative and he doesn't know his own relative's name? What's really going on here? Oh, oh, he knows his name. It actually gets better. The, the Hebrew here is Poloni Almoni, which rhymes with baloney. Okay, I mean, this guy, that, that, that's actually the name, and it really just is translated this, Mr. Such and Such. Mr. So-and-so. Come over here and sit down. And the situation is such that because he is not going to redeem Ruth, the narrator says his name isn't worthy to be mentioned. He goes nameless. The narrator wants you to compare the two between this formal redeemer who has the right to do it, who is nameless, and who is going to be the surprise redeemer, who is Boaz. And so Boaz says, here's your opportunity. You get to redeem Naomi and the land. Okay? That's what's going on. And there's a really great piece of land, and it's a really great price. Because why? They've been gone for 10 years. There's no relatives. No one's used it. So it's good land at a really good price. There's only one little thing you need to know. You see that house that's on that land? There's a bitter old woman that lives upstairs, and she comes with the house. And so this businessman, this, this Poloni Almoni, he says, let me think about it. Let me see. Amazing piece of land. You know, she's kind of old. There's no kids. So when she dies, guess what he gets to do? I get to add all of this to my inheritance. I don't have to pass it on, okay, to the future kids, because there are no future kids. Naomi's old. She's not going to have any kids. She already said that in chapter one, right? If I was to have kids, you'd have to wait a long time. So this guy looks at this business deal and answer Ruth 4.4, he says, sold. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here in the presence of the elders and my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me, then I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, what? I will redeem it. Now, as a reader, you are thinking, no, 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 no. What about Ruth and Boaz? I mean, what about the one in a million shot? If this was a TV episode, the screen would be going black, and you would see what three words? To be continued. And you're going, no. I mean, the zero is going to be the hero? No, not this Poloni Almoni guy. But the narrator loves to play with you. You got to give Boaz a little bit more credit. Remember, he is Bohunk. All right? I mean, he's a wise dude. All right? And so look at what Boaz says next. He threw out the bait, and now he's about ready to set the hook. And he says, verse 5 Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead. And catch this now that you know what a kinsman redeemer is. Not for your own benefit. Not for your own inheritance. Not so that you would become rich. No, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. He says, I'm sorry. Yes, it's a great piece of land. But you also have this Moabite woman, Ruth. Now you guys know about the Moabites, right? They sacrifice their children, foreign gods. We could liken them to New York Giants fans, okay? They're just one of those people, okay? They're the others, all right? I mean, just, I, I don't know. We, we just can't quite wrap our head around that, 
all right? <laughs> Somebody get her some water, okay? And so basically Boaz says, here's the deal. If you want to buy the land and you're going to inherit Naomi, you're also going to inherit Ruth. And when you inherit Ruth, you have to have a son through her. And so this is what this means. You have to change diapers. You have to go to all the Little League games. You've got to pay for piano lessons. You've got to pay for tuition. And then you have to give it all back for free. You have to give it all back for free. Remember, the kinsman redeemer gets the land and the lady to raise sons, but not to be his heirs, but to give it back freely to keep the name of the dead going. It is God's way of continuing his faithfulness to all generations, not to forget anybody. And so it's not buying the land for yourself. It's redeeming the land for your relatives. And that is a distinction that comes with a great cost. And his response is, not going to do it. It would be imprudent. Right? That's his response. He says, look with me here at verse 5. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you will acquire it. You will acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, isn't this interesting? I cannot redeem it for myself. Is it really I cannot, or shouldn't it be I should not, or I will not? Because five seconds ago, was he all over this? Yeah, but now all of a sudden he realizes that it is going to come at a great cost. Redemption cost me. I was all for the redemption until I realized it was going to cost me. That'll preach. What is the author trying to show you? That the formal redeemer was a worldly man who was storing up treasures on earth who will not have his name written in the Lamb's book of life because he was so concerned about having his name written all over the world. He was busy about his business. And the irony here is, folks, that the man who will not maintain the name of the dead does not get his name written in Scripture. The man who is worried about his legacy misses out on God's legacy, which is the salvation of all people through Ruth, through Obed, through Jesse, through David, through King Jesus. Beloved, there are a lot of imitation redeemers out there. They will kill you they won't be killed for you. A true redeemer is resolved. A true redeemer is ready to pay the price. Yet, go ahead, start thinking the gospel. Start thinking communion. Start thinking the cross. He is resolved. He's ready to pay the price. He is willing to do whatever it takes to redeem you. And there is only one redeemer that has ever done that for you. And it points to our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. And so, Boaz is resolved He's ready to pay the price. And the last piece here, restoration comes through redemption. Look with me here at verses 7 through 9. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning a redeemer and exchanging to, conf to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the matter of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Shilion and to Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. 
to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. We entered into this chapter asking, will the hope that has been shattered ever be restored? Will the life that has been shattered through death ever be restored? And at this moment, it all comes together. All the glimmers of light are now the sun bursting forth in full glory. Because of the darkness of death, the fatigue of famine, the bitterness of brokenness, the despair of doubt, the hope that has been shattered into pieces has now been restored. And the million-dollar question is how? Through one act of redemption. Boaz told Ruth in chapter 3, I will do everything you ask. He is a surprise redeemer. He takes the family debt and he absorbs it and he marries Ruth. And get this, the moment he marries Ruth, what happens to Ruth? All of his wealth, which wasn't hers, which she has never earned or worked for, becomes hers legally, automatically and immediately. When we go to the cross and our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, did you know that he is our real redeemer? That in God's word, the word redeemer is used of God more than humans throughout the Old and New Testament. All of this is pointing to the true redeemer, Jesus Christ. Would you notice with me some parallels? I challenge you all this week in our weekly gather to see how many parallels you could see. First, would you notice that redemption is a necessary act? It's a necessary act. The story doesn't end well without redemption. Every eye here, your story will not end well without redemption. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that all of us are dead and our trespasses and sins. Redemption is necessary for your hope. But redemption is also a solo act. Number two, redemption is a solo act. There can only be one redeemer in this story. What does Boaz say? It's either you or me, pal. Who's going to do it? And let me tell you what the Bible says about that. There is only one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. Redemption is a solo act, and his name is Jesus. But redemption is also a sovereign act. Who does all the work in this story? Who pays the price? Who is resolved? Who is ready? Who brings hope? Boaz. Does Ruth do anything? What does Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say? For it is by the grace of God that you are saved. Not of works. Lest any man should boast, right? Why? Because it is a sovereign act. God is doing it all. It is a gift to be redeemed. Redemption is also a legal act. It's legal. That's why the other guy backs away. Someone has to pay the price. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin, what, what is the price of sin? Death. 
Is that a costly thing to redeem somebody? I have to die. I have to give my, I only have one life. That's why in the Old Testament they sacrificed animals because you can only pay for your sin how many times? One time. And so Christ, the man Christ Jesus, did the legal act and he is willing to pay the ultimate price for our sins. And guess what? The cross, the resurrection, and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit is your receipt that it has been paid in full. You've been purchased forever. A child I am. Redemption is also a loving act. Why is Boaz willing to go further than the other Redeemer? Is it because of the law? No, the other guy had the law on his side, right? That guy was the first one to get the opportunity, but it was not the law that motivated him to give it all, to, to raise up a son and to pay for little league and tuition and change diapers. No, it was love that said, Boaz, I am willing to incur this debt to myself and then help Malan's name continue. Do you realize that the cross says that God loves you? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ so loved the church, Ephesians 5, said that he gave himself for her. That's why he said that song. The church is one foundation. From heaven he came and he sought her to buy her with his own precious blood. You are deeply loved by your Redeemer. Redemption, though, is also an undeserving act. What nationality is Ruth? Moabite. She doesn't deserve it. May I remind you that while we were still sinners, Christ, Romans 5, 8, what did he do? He died for us. That once we were not a people, and now he has made us a people, 1 Peter 2.10. Once we were separated from Christ, aliens, strangers, having no hope and without God in the world. You do not deserve redemption, but Jesus freely offers it to you. Redemption is also a public act. Boaz had to do this in front of witnesses, right? Did Christ die in front of witnesses? Did he rise again in front of witnesses to confirm his testimony? May I remind you that the cross is a public display of Christ's affection. He died in front of the eyes of the world so the world would know that redemption is found in him. Redemption is also a costly act. He is willing to give up everything to take Ruth in. And may I redeem you? May I remind you? What a cost it is to redeem you, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but the precious blood of Christ. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You want to talk about valuable. Redemption is also a final act. Once it happened, it was finished. There's no reversals. Christ on the cross, what? It is finished. Jesus died once and for all for our sins. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because it has been paid and it is a final act. For when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, Hebrews 10, 12. 
Beloved, it is Reformation time period. Halloween, All Saints Day, Reformation. I love you enough to tell you that our Catholic friends do not believe that it was a once-for-all act. And though we love them, and though we have many friends that still go there, we need to pray for them and plead for them because they still crucify Christ. And it was a permanent act that once it was done, it was paid in full, never to be done again. And we are not sitting there at stairs that we have to climb to get to heaven. We have a Savior that comes down to us and does it completely. Over Christmas, and you have in New England, I'm sure many loving Catholic friends, show them grace, give them honor. But beloved, don't just think because they believe in Jesus that they will be there with you in heaven understand the gospel and see what they believe. Redemption is a permanent act. It's a permanent act. Leverant marriage, yeah, it will buy you out of a bind. Kinsman Redeemer, Ruth's life is restored, but guess what? Even in marriage, people still die. Okay? And so the New Testament and the Old Testament look beyond death to our memory verse to an inheritance that is what? Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This, res- this redemption is permanent. It is also hopeful. Jesus makes good on His promises to have a people that will have communion with Him in the new creation. He says this in John 6, 39, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that He has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Beloved, our names are written in the Lamb's books of life. Where would we be if it was not for Christ? So my final question to you is, redemption is personal. Do you know Him? Ruth, And Naomi had an encounter with Boaz. And the most important encounter you can have in church is Christ. It is not a system of beliefs. It is not a way of life. It is, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The person is the way. The person is the life. The person is the truth. Do you know him? And we see that in our own lives, that time plus a masterful craftsman equals restoration. Your life, though it is broken, though it is shattered, though you might say it will never get put back together, you can play music again. And it will be more beautiful music because our Savior is that masterful craftsman. Listen to our old memory verse, Titus 2, 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us 
from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. If you're here and you already know Christ is your Savior, I pray that this redemption and seeing what it costs Him will make you worship Him in communion. But it is also because we have been redeemed that now we can act redemptively to one another. That we can give our money, that we can give our love, that we can offer forgiveness to one another in the church. That we can pursue reconciliation. Will you join me as we prepare for the Lord's table? Pat, come on up. And the men...